So let me uh, let's get started. We're going to finish up chapter 48 of Genesis today. Let's overlap a little bit of where we were last week. So you may recall that Ephraim and Manasseh had been brought to him, the two sons of Joseph, and they were presented to him such that Manasseh was on Jacob's right hand. But Jacob intentionally switched his hands, crossed them, crossing his hands, putting his right hand on on Ephraim, his left hand on Manasseh. And let's pick it up from verse 15 of Genesis chapter 48. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, Bless the lads and make my name live on in them. And the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Then Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, and it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hands to remove it, his hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is my firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people and also will become great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day saying, By you, Israel will pronounce a blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So, you see that... that, uh, he blessed them in verse 15. He blessed Joseph by blessing his sons. He first calls God. He, he says this, this is the God of Abraham and Isaac. So again, you see this lineage. This is being passed down from the fathers. Then he says, God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, just proclaiming all the ways that God has protected him. And he's essentially saying, may God do for you what he's done for me. May God do for you what he's done for me. And he says, may may my name live on in them and the names of their fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So they are going to be named among his, his, uh, uh, his 12 sons. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hands to move it back. Now, he obviously did not grasp it very hard. As the man is 147, he could easily have switched it, but he just just grasped it gently. But his father said, no. Um, Joseph appealed to him. He says, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. And this whole idea of choosing the firstborn over over the others, uh, God is eventually going to, to indeed put that upon upon the children of Israel. So it says in, in the law, in Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, it says, 
but he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. To him belong the right of the firstborn. So, so it's eventually going to be codified in the law that, that uh, you do this for the firstborn. Yet God, interestingly, never really did this himself. He often went, went, went contrary to this. He put this upon his people, but he didn't put it upon himself. So you look at he chose, Cain, he chose Abel over Cain, Shem over Japheth, Abraham over Nahor and Haran, Isaac above Ishmael, Jacob above Esau, Judah and Joseph above Reuben, Moses above Aaron, David and Solomon above their brothers. So God had a habit of doing this himself. Uh, and and uh, so here he, he does it again by putting Ephraim before Manasseh. And, uh, um, uh, and then when he does that, he says, he says don't worry, Manasseh is going to become really great. He's really going to become great. But uh, uh, his brother is going to become greater than him. Now again, you see this pattern. This man is a prophet. He is speaking prophetically. How does he know this? He's speaking prophetically. The, 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 uh, the patriarchs were prophets, and he's speaking prophetically. But again, you see this idea of election. I mean, he has chosen right here. He is proclaiming what is going to happen of Ephraim long before it's ever even happened. There is some election going that is going to make him greater. And then he says in verse 20, he blessed them this day saying, by you Israel will pronounce blessing saying. So now he's, it's a very interesting thing. So he uses his own, the two names interchangeably, Israel and Jacob, as does the Bible throughout this passage. But now this is the first time he's naming a nation a group of people is going to be named Israel. By you, Israel will pronounce blessing. So he's calling upon his own name that God has given him and saying this is going to now be a national blessing to say may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So again, he has put Ephraim first. But he's saying a blessing is going to be pronounced. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. That is something that the Bible itself now proclaims as a blessing. And he blessed those two sons. And so remember, Manasseh had a double portion. He had a portion on the east side of the Jordan. He had a portion on the west side of the Jordan. And a lot of land from Manasseh. And, uh, um, and then it says in, in, verse, in verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die. You know, there's something about an older person as they get near death they have a whole different perspective. And, you know, it's interesting. Charles Spurgeon said you can learn so much at the, the, the side of a, of a deathbed. And he says, he says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Again, he is speaking prophetically. It's going to be, it's going to be about 200 years till the time that that uh, uh, Joseph's bones are going to be brought up into that land. But he's speaking prophetically. And he says, I have given you one more, one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So here he is giving the double portion to Joseph. So Joseph now has taken over the firstborn slot. That was initially proclaimed by the multicolored tunic. 
and now he is he is uh, uh, putting it in force here. If you look in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, 1 Chronicles, when it's documenting the genealogies, 1 Chronicles is beautiful by giving us all of this, this, this all in one place, these genealogies. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was the firstborn. But when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of, of Joseph son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And although Judah was strongest of his brothers and ruler and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. Joseph got the rights of the firstborn. That's what it tells us in First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And that's what it's showing here. He got a double portion. And he got the double portion by having two of his sons receive these portions. And he says, I've given you an extra portion of land, uh, uh, the land which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. We don't have any documentation of Joseph using his sword and his bow to take land from the Amorite. He may be speaking uh, vicariously of what was done by Simeon and Levi by taking the city of Shechem. Uh, he, He may be speaking of that. Or he may be speaking uh, uh, proleptically in the, in the, and, and prophetically, I should say, of what is going to take place uh, uh, when the children of Israel come into the land. And, and it's interesting, though, that Shechem does end up in Manasseh and not Ephraim. It's just by the border of Ephraim and Manasseh, but it is clearly in Manasseh and not Ephraim. And, the, and remember, there was an adjacent field to Shechem, which which uh, uh, Jacob had bought. So there were only two portions of land in Canaan that were owned by the, by, by the Hebrew people at this point. It was that portion of land that he had bought from Shechem. Uh, one could say he had Shechem by the right of conquest as well. And then the other portion was the burial plot in Hebron and the field, the adjacent field with it. Uh, but again, so you see this, this prophetically going on, and he has now said, you've got your double portion. Here it is. And he is, he's uh, uh, establishing that in his will now, because he is about to die. Um, now let's go into chapter 49. Chapter 49, and we'll start reading from verse 1. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Okay, so we'll stop there. So Jacob summons all his sons. So his 12 sons are around him. And uh, uh, you see, all his sons can make it. When someone is going to read a will, <laughs> people show up. And uh, uh, they're showing up to see what's going ha- what, what, to transpire here. And Jacob summoned all his sons. He said, assemble yourselves together that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. I'm going to tell you. What's going to befall you in the days to come? So this is not a normal will where he's going to 
divide up land or anything. No. Here he's telling them what's going to befall them. Again, you see this hand of election. Before it even happens, I'm telling you what's going to happen. God knows this in our lives. He knows the beginning and the end all at once. He knows everything, everything that's going to take place. And he's speaking prophetically here, and he's telling them what's going to happen in the days to come. Not today, not tomorrow, but in the latter days, in the days to come. The end days, not the near days, but the end days. This is what's going to happen to you folks. He says, gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So he uses the two names here. These are the sons of Jacob, and he says, listen to Israel, your father. He says, I am your father. Listen to me what's going to happen. I mean, sometimes we, we think that, oh, that old guy doesn't know anything. No, those old guys know a lot. They know a lot, especially the ones that have walked with God. They are amazing folks. I remember I was talking with Ronnie Barner, who, who ran the, the uh, uh, ministry at the church for the seniors. And he, has, he, he was uh, um, worked for, for the church that I go to for about 55 years. He was on the payroll. I mean, for anybody to last 55 years working with a church, I mean, it's amazing. And, and uh, then he worked with the seniors for many years, and he told me those folks that are over 90 years old, they are tough folks. He says, you don't live to be in your 90s without being super tough. And uh, he's absolutely right. As I talk to the older folks in, 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 uh, in the church, they are, they are robust people. I mean, and they have seen and they have lived with God. They've lived through, through world wars. They've lived through multiple wars. They've lived through lots and lots of things. They've seen lots of people around them pass away. Their own children pass away. Their spouses pass away. And they are tough folks. And uh, um, so now he says, listen to your father. And he speaks of Reuben. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength. You're my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. So he says, you're my firstborn. It was all set aside for you, my son. You're my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. You had everything going for you. But you're uncontrolled as water. You are uncontrollable. You are uncontrollable as water. And you shall not have preeminence. You are uncontrollable. I have seen this in my careers many times. I've seen people where they just totally trashed their lives because they were uncontrollable. They did not know how to submit to authority. They did not know how to come under authority. I've even seen this with, with, with faculty members. I've seen this with professors where, where they... they uh, you know, they think they can get away with certain things and they start opposing the administration and everything and the administration just doesn't have it. They send the, the locksmiths and they change the lock on their office. That's it. You're out of your office. They, they cut off your computer account and, and that's it. And they, they go in and they, they take your computer because it's owned by the university and, you know, one day you were proud and thumping your chest and the next day you're nothing. You're nothing. I've seen this happen. On more than one occasion, when people fail to understand that there are authorities in everybody's life, there are authorities. He was uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence. 
And he gives them a specific case in point. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So you, <clears throat> you might remember that, that uh, we had read this, that, that uh, um, shortly after Rachel had died, uh, Reuben slept with her handmaid, who was, who was really Jacob's wife at this point. And so she was obviously older than him, and uh, he went up and he slept with her. And we don't have, we didn't, and it says that Jacob was told about it, but we don't have any record of him saying anything about it. This was 40 years earlier. 40 years earlier, that event happened. And he says, that's why you lost your preeminence. And his preeminence wasn't just lost at that moment. It was lost before that too. So, so if you, if you go back, for example, in Genesis 42, in Genesis 42, um, uh, they're, they're, they're speaking, the brothers are speaking among themselves and Reuben, you might remember Reuben thought that he would, he would somehow deliver his brother Jacob, uh, his brother Joseph when the other brothers were coming against him. So he said, just throw him in the pit thinking he'd come back later and do it. And it says in, in Genesis chapter 42, verse 22, Reuben answered them saying, did I not tell you do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning. For his blood. You would not listen. So even though he was the oldest brother and he told them to do something, they just blew him off. They didn't listen to him. He had lost his preeminence even, even uh, long before this time. He had lost his preeminence. His brothers didn't listen to him anymore. When you discard your virtue, you, you, you can't maintain your rep, <coughs> your rep, <coughs> excuse me, you can't maintain your reputation. <clears throat> when you discard your virtue, you, you just you just lost it. And I know nothing, I know of nothing that causes a man to lose his reputation more than his committing of adultery. I've seen it many times. And a man loses his reputation when he commits adultery and he loses everything. It's just as it talks about in the book of Proverbs. You will lose everything. You'll lose your dignity. I've seen men lose their fortunes. I mean, it, and, and uh, um, uh, you know, th- this is an interesting thing. He says, he says, uh, because in verse, in chapter 49, verse 4, in verse, verse 4, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. He says, you defiled it. And then it's as if he looks up and he turns to the other brother. He says, he went up to my couch. I've read this in several translations and it all says the same thing. It all presents it in this way as if he's looking to, he went up to my couch. Can you believe it? He went up to my couch. You defiled my bed. And he went up to my couch and it destroyed everything. This man was uncontrollable as water. Did you know that in the scriptures there is there is no casual sex? There's no casual sex. Sex is never decoupled from from uh, social consequences. Never. Sex is never decoupled from social consequences. And even for the unmarried, there are social consequences for this. If the unmarried say, well, I'm not married, so I'm not committing adultery, it's no problem. No, it's a real problem. 
It is a real problem. And, and the generation can say whatever it wants to say. The generation is wrong. The Bible is right. The Word of God is true. It will remain true forever. This book has never been wrong. There are social consequences to sex, and we see it right here. It started to hit that guy right away. He lost his preeminence right away. You saw when Joseph was 17, he got the multicolored tunic. Uh, when Joseph was 17, his brothers blew him off. They wouldn't listen to him. In that culture, oldest brothers have a lot of sway on things. His brothers ignored him. He lost all preeminence long ago because he was uncontrollable as water. He, the man could not be controlled. He could not be controlled. And so he proclaims over Reuben these sorts of things. And it's interesting. From the tribe of Reuben, you never have a judge. You never have a prophet coming from the tribe of Reuben. Never from the tribe of Reuben do you have a prophet. You have prophets from all sorts of tribes. Never have a, pri- a prophet from the tribe of Reuben. You never have a judge from the tribe of Reuben. You do have a couple of leaders came forth. They were leaders of an insurrection. They were Abiram and and uh, Abiram and and uh, um, uh, Dathan, Dathan and Abiram, the leaders of of the insurrection against Moses. They were from Reuben. And so you see, this is election again. I mean, you, this this is from this tribe. He proclaims over this tribe. You lost your might. That's it. And no leader ever came forth from them except these guys that opposed Moses. And with Dathan and Abiram, that, those were the folks that God opened up the ground and they and their whole families fell in, into the earth and just, and then it closed up over them. So, so, uh, this is what you see coming out of the tribe of Reuben. But this whole idea of being uncontrolled as water, not learning how to come under authority. Everybody, everybody has authority in their life. Everybody even has human authorities in their life. I teach this Bible study at the pleasure of the leadership of of my local church. At their pleasure. If they were to say, Jim, we think it's time for you to go do something else and let somebody else teach the Bible study, that very day I would end because I teach at at their pleasure. Because I'm under authority. Jesus spoke about this and let's turn to Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. There's a portion I want to read out of Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start reading from verse 5. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And this incident is referred to twice in the Gospels. And uh, um, let's start reading Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord... My servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great 
faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Okay, so Jesus had ministry primarily to the Jewish people. He did minister to to, uh, uh, Gentiles. There are numerous examples of that. But it was primarily to the to the to the, the the children of Israel, and he told his disciples when he sent them out. He said, "Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the children of Israel." Ministry was primarily to them. Uh, uh, this this uh, uh, Gentile comes up. This Gentile centurion comes up to him, imploring him, saying, "Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tor- tormented." So he cared about his servant. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now, there was a reason why Jesus Jesus responded to this centurion the way he did. You can read about it in the other gospel account. But the reason why is this centurion was very good to the Jewish people. Very good to the Jewish people. And in fact, the Jewish leaders even made made uh, a, a reference for him and said, you know, you know he's, he's, he's uh, supported our synagogue. And when Jesus heard that, he in a sense had an obligation to go to this man's home because the Bible said, made a promise to Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. So Jesus, Jesus responds to this Gentile this way. And he says, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. So he says, Lord, I don't even want to trouble you. You don't even have to come. Just speak the word and it'll be done. Because, you know, I'm a man, I understand authority. I tell my soldiers, do this, and it's done. Look, what, look, this is the most interesting passage it says here. Now, when Jesus heard this in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Can you think of another instance where Jesus marveled? He said, he said to the Syrophoenician woman, you know, your faith is, has healed you. He didn't, it doesn't say he marveled. He marveled at this. Jesus marveled. I mean, normally it says, you know, you, you know, he, he knew what was in all men. I mean, you weren't really impressing Jesus very much. But here, he says, he marveled. And he said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I've never, never seen faith like this, with anyone in Israel. Now remember, Jesus didn't just live at that time in Palestine. No, Jesus has always been around. He means from from Adam until now, I've never seen anybody like this. There's nobody 
who has faith like this guy, who understands authority like this guy. I've never seen anyone like this. Are you for real? (laughs) This is what he's telling to the, the centurion. He says he marveled and he said to those following, so he's looking around at those following, he says, truly I've never seen anyone with such great faith. Faith? The man understood authority and Jesus aligns understanding of authority with faith. Jesus aligns understanding of authority with faith. He's, what was, what was the show of faith with this guy? He just said, I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. Just speak the word and it's done. Jesus said, I've never seen such great faith. Reuben was uncontrollable as water. He had no understanding of authority. So much so that he even went up to his own father's bed. And he brought cursing on his life. I'll tell you young men and you young women who, women who are newly married or are going to be getting married or something, I am warning you, do not mess around with, 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 uh, with people beyond outside of your marriage. Don't do it. And it, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll commit adultery today. Nobody does that. I mean, it is a pattern of behavior. If you find yourself uh, flirting with women at work, or saying saying things that, that you really shouldn't be saying to, to, to other women, you have to really be careful. Really be careful. Because these things can sneak up on you and they will destroy you. You can read in the first few chapters of Proverbs about this. Proverbs 5, 6, 7. Read about this. The destruction. You will give your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you'll just be kicking yourself saying, why didn't I listen to this this authority? Why didn't I listen? This whole thing of understanding that you are God has given you a wife, you are to treasure her. God has given you a husband, you are to treasure him. You don't mess around with this stuff. If you feel yourself being drawn to somebody, fall on your knees and cry out to God, Lord, protect me if it's being drawn to somebody beyond your marriage. Lord, protect me from this and avoid that person. Avoid that person. You say, well, I don't want to hurt them because they're depending on you. There's all the more reason to avoid that person. Well, I I wanted them to hear the gospel. They're not going to hear a good gospel from you. Let somebody else share the gospel with them. Trust me, you're not the only one that can share the gospel with them. You're not the one to be doing it. Let somebody else do it. Stay away from that because it will bring destruction. We see that in the life of Reuben. He didn't understand authority. There's an authority that comes. There's a whole authority structure. Jesus equates authority with faith. That's something we've got a hold of. We've got to take hold of you have an authority at your work. If, if you're snooty toward your, 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 your employer, if, if, you, if you speak proudly to your boss, go back and apologize to him or her. Do that. Go back and apologize to him. and Say, I'm, I'm sorry for not treating you with, with the authority that you deserve. I'm sorry. And you, say, you may say, well, they're an incompetent boss. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're incompetent. They're your boss. Learn that you are under authority. 
the chairman of my department, the chairperson of my department is, is a guy much younger than me. I voted him in on his tenure. I voted him in on these things. It doesn't matter. He is now the chairman of the department. And so I have to respect his authority. And then over him is a dean. Again, I remember when this guy, when the dean was first hired as, as an assistant professor. And I went and I took him out to lunch and I shared the gospel with him when he was an assistant professor. And, uh, uh, um, and so, so, but he's now my dean. He's the dean of my college. And there's a provost over him and a president over him. I must respect authority. When you learn how to respect the line of authority, there is great blessing. Some men come to me and they say, you know, my, my wife and my kids never listen to me. And I say, it doesn't surprise me that they don't listen to you. You have no authority in your life. Who do you listen to? You don't listen to the local church. I mean, you, you have no relationship with the church. You, I wonder if the pastor even knows your name. Learn how to come under the authority of a local church. That's why a local church is so important. Because there's a chain of authority. And when you observe that chain of authority, there is great blessing there. Reuben had preeminence. He was given so much. But he was uncontrollable as water. The man could not be controlled. He went by his own passions. If you have a tendency of being uncontrollable, if you have a tendency of being unaccountable to others, I urge you to learn from this. Jesus put the understanding of authority and equated that with faith. He equated it with faith. It's so important to understand authority. This man, Reuben, came out from under authority. It messed up his whole family line. You will mess up your whole home. If you are a man who does not understand authority, then your wife will not understand your authority, your children will not understand your authority, and you'll mess them up too. You bring, you bring all sorts of problems into your home if you don't understand the line of authority. Jesus equated authority with faith. And then he said further in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 5, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. When he says from the east and the west, he means the Gentile nations. Many are coming to the, from the Gentile nations. They're going to sit at the same table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That declares right there that there is a resurrection. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all dead. There is a resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead, and so shall his children. So shall his beloved. They too shall rise from the dead. And they're going to sit at the table. And we're going to sit at a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus said it. You can absolutely bank on that. There is a resurrection. If you do not know the Lord today, I urge you, I urge you, to know Jesus. He is the one who provides the resurrection. He testified of that by rising from the dead himself. Jesus rose from the dead and the truth of the resurrection is already on your heart or you wouldn't even be watching this Bible study. It's already on your heart. Come to him this day. There is a resurrection and there is a resurrection and just being of the tribe of Israel didn't do it. He said many people from many people are going to come from the east and the west. He says, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness in the place that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, just because you think you're from Israel, you're going to be in heaven. No way. No way. There is one way of salvation and it's all through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one way for everybody and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, and uh, so Jesus demonstrated this. I urge you to walk under authority. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is wonderful. Your word is wonderful, O oh God. Father, teach us to walk under your authority, under the authority of the local church, under the authority of other believers that have authority over us. Lord, that we would learn to be men under authority, just like that centurion. He was a man under authority and he understood authority. And Lord, how you equate that with faith. Lord, let us remember that, that this is a demonstration of faith, that we acknowledge the authorities over us, that we treat them with respect and honor. Lord, I pray for your grace, your grace upon those on this call. Lord, I pray for your grace, that you would kindly, kindly grant them mercy. Father, protect the marriages, I pray. Lord, I pray that these young people would understand that sex has never been decoupled from social responsibility. Never been decoupled from that. Every time in the scripture that it is referenced, that a reference is made to this, there is social responsibility that is called upon. Father, I pray that you would cause them to walk according to your ways, according to the ways that you have outlined for us, and not according to the ways of this world, which are destruction and death. Lord, your mercy be there. Your mercy and your grace be there, I pray. And for the unbelievers on this call, Father, I pray thee that this very day they would say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead. And in that, that they may see life everlasting. Lord Jesus, save their souls, I pray, for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.